Welcome back to DPT to CEO, the podcast where I, Dr. Morgan Mies, PT, owner of The Well Physio, a cash-based physical therapy practice I started in 2019, share with you as much as I can on how to successfully start, launch, and grow your own solo practice. Whether you're brand new and just thinking about getting started, or whether you're currently working with a full caseload of your very own patients, this podcast is for you. And of course, if you'd like more help, you can find all the resources on my website at morganmeese.com and connect with me on Instagram at Dr. Morgan Meese. If you're ready, let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to another glorious episode of DPT to CEO, the podcast, um, where I, Morgan Meese, um, a PT and business owner, am interviewing other wonderful practice owners and business owners um, to tell us a little bit more about their stories and how they got to where they are, and hopefully offering some sage advice to help you <laughs> get where you want to go um, and uh, skip some of the mistakes that we've made along the way. Um, Tonight, we have uh, an amazing person with us, a special guest, Zach. Um, I'm really excited to get into your story and talk a little bit more about everything. But first of all, just thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I I love it. And I love that today, Zach and I have spent several hours together. (laughs) Um, And we're just, we're having the best time. But I guess let's let's dive right into it. Um, Zach, if you don't mind uh, telling us a little bit more about you, and I guess like what you do but also like your story, background, and and how you got here. Hello, everyone. I'm Zach. Um, Yeah, I I graduated from PT school. I went to Clarkson University in upstate New York. I graduated in 2021, Um, so I'm still fresh out of school. And, um, you know, prior to that, I um, I majored in psychology, neuroscience. I, I worked in community mental health for a year prior to starting PT school. Um, I've always really been interested in neuro. And by really interested, I mean completely obsessed and can't <laughs> imagine myself doing anything else. Um, so so I knew I was going to go into to a neuro setting. Didn't quite sure know what exactly that was going to look like. Um, I ended up getting my first job um, at a hospital system doing outpatients, acute care, ICU, CCU, a little bit of everything. I I would say it was like, it was pretty much the first day I started where I had the first thought of, I don't think I ever want to work for somebody ever again. (laughs) And I think this will be my last uh, job as an employee. Um, And so it did take long for that to actually become a reality. It was like eight months, I think, before I began my private practice. I, I did that kind of on the side for for a few months until it started picking up more. And essentially, I was working almost like what felt like two full-time jobs. Um, so I, so I, I quit my hospital job last August and have been full-time in my private practice ever since. And it just keeps growing and I am completely full and it's, <laughs> it's been a success. Um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And, you know, it, it sounds like overall, you're living the dream of having your own practice, your own business and doing all all the things that you want to do the way that you want to do them. Um, which is great. I guess like let's maybe let's start there and tell us a little bit more about like all of the 
like positives or pros that you've seen since going full time for yourself? Yeah. So, well, I guess the, the, the biggest one is seeing the patients that I want to see. Um, I, I didn't really have any sort of autonomy really at all at the <laughs> hospital. Uh, PTs typically don't. Um, so, so the autonomy and being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want is really great. But, you know, I, I, I started this practice really because I, I saw a specific group of patients in in the hospital setting that were being treated like really really poorly. I was I was shocked actually of like not being told the diagnosis, being told you know that they were faking it, that they weren't deserving of getting discharged to inpatient rehab because they didn't have a real condition. Meanwhile, this patient can't walk, can't talk. Like it, it, I was shocked. And so I started reading up more on it and I was so surprised that nobody, you can't find anybody here in New York City that that specializes in this, that even just advertises it, you know, on their website. The more I started looking into it and the past history, um, I found very stigmatizing, very um, not well understood, but it's becoming a lot more understood and that there is actually effective treatment and us as PTs play a huge role in that. So I was kind of hooked <laughs> from the beginning. And so um, most people know it as like conversion disorder, but the proper term now for it is functional neurological disorder. Um, so I, I started my practice specializing in that. I, I learned a whole bunch. I was treating some people in the hospital and, and that's what I exclusively, that, that's the population I exclusively focus on now. And I'm, to my knowledge, the only physical therapist and I would say definitely New York City, but probably the oh, close to this day, I actually know a couple in um, Syracuse who are awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I'm in this region, I'm, I'm the only person doing this. And it's, it's a very common condition too. It's, it's one of the, it's high up there on the list of um, it, like similar to Parkinson's and MS. And so like imagining yourself as being the only provider in a city of eight, plus million people only treating people with MS, like it's a lot of people. Um, yeah. And, and so being, being able to have that freedom though and autonomy to do the things that I want to do is like really essential for dealing with that kind of demand. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I think that, you know, for like a lot of us who have started our own practices or are thinking about it, I feel like the biggest kind of like goals that come up are like financial freedom, time freedom, but clinical freedom is a big one. And like, I know that that was really important to me as well. And just like wanting to work with people, you know, that I'm interested in being athletes. And like, you know, part of it is the enjoyment, but also like finding just like some kind of clinical specialty where you feel really confident about your ability to help people. Um, you know, like that obviously makes a huge impact on the community and your patients, but also it's like very fulfilling, I think, professionally to be able to to do that and create an opportunity for yourself to do that. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and so like that's definitely something that is like totally valid reason to to start something on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I want I want to kind of go over this because I know for myself, I not a neurospecialist, just specialist, um, not it was something I worked very hard on in school, um, <laughs> all the neuro things. And like, I think neuro stuff is awesome. Not my specialty, but for people who are listening, who are students who have been out of school for a while, or for people like me who are just 
NeuroBaby Beginners. Can you actually tell us a little bit more about FND and kind of like maybe like the symptoms uh, that you see in people and kind of like, I don't know, like the typical things that you work on with your patients? Absolutely. How much time do we have? I could go <laughs> literally I all night talking about it. I know. I love it. Give I'm us obsessed. a preview. Yeah, yeah. So the the old thinking of this used to be that it was just psychological, um, that these, not that the symptoms were fake, although that's very common for, for healthcare providers to think, but um, that, you know, the there was some emotional trauma or some some type of suppressed emotion in the subconscious that, that was converting mm -hmm. into these physical symptoms. Um, very Freudian, literally was developed by Freud and uh, totally is, it unsubstantiated with evidence. It's just not a testable hypothesis. It doesn't really make sense. And there's a lot of problems with it. Mm -hmm. So last 20 years, there's been a huge um, resurgence and in, in, in interest in, in research and clinical practice for functional neurological disorders. And we found out, we have found out a lot since 20 years ago. And so um, the symptoms can, can vary quite a bit, but the, the technical definition of it is um, any type of like altered voluntary movement or sensory like impairment that is not uh, what we call congruent with like neurological diseases. So we look for, and it's it used to be a diagnosis of exclusion. It's now a diagnosis of, inclu of inclusion. So it has to be ruled in. And we do that by looking at what we call um, positive features or positive signs, clinical signs and symptoms that we only really see in people with FND and has high specificity for, for the condition. And so um, a common one is what we call Hoover's sign, which is taught, at least when in my PT program, it was taught. Um, however, it was taught to catch people for malingering, um, which is not, if you're gonna take home anything from tonight, that's just not it. <laughs> uh -huh. Hoover test does not show malingering. It does not. It's a clinical sign for, for a functional neurological disorder. And what it tells us is that when a person voluntarily tries to move their, their leg, their limb, either is weak or, or paralyzed, um, they can't move it. The harder they try, the worse it gets. The more paralyzed it gets, the weaker it gets. When their attention is redirected away from it, though, they have full strength or at least a lot more strength comes back and it's very clear and obvious. And so that tells us a lot about like what's going on with these conditions. And so for like the symptoms, it's weakness, body from full body paralysis to just paralysis of the, the legs, um, sensory disturbances. Usually it's like a hemi, what we call a hemisensory syndrome where completely split down the midline with a very sharp edge. It's like right here, you feel it right over the midline, you don't. We only really see that in FND. Um, all types of movement disorders, tremors, myoclonus, Parkinsonism even. Um, things that look like MS, stroke, Parkinson's, and, and I, I would say probably almost like 90% of patients I've seen have been misdiagnosed prior to actually mm -hmm. receiving their, their diagnosis. And that's led to really intense treatments, uh, IV steroids, IVIG, uh, really like 
plasmapheresis and pore placements and also surgeries, cervical fusions, tons of like really invasive procedures that honestly were totally unnecessary um, and way had way more risk than than benefit. And so, yeah, so I, I, I see, I, I treat all of these conditions. The other common one are, are what we call functional seizures or non-epileptic seizures. Um, that's another big one too. That does have more of like psychological factors that play a role and psychologists usually kind of lead that treatment plan. Um, and there's no real good evidence that PTs like have a role. It's just not in the literature. Um, mm. But from my experience, we definitely do. And it, it can be yeah. really helpful. Um, but basically we, we treat these people with, um, based on these principles of what's going on in, uh, in the, the pathology. So it's symptoms are typically worse with attention. They're better with distraction or what I say, like redirected attention that actually improves the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, and expectations also a big one too. So like, for example, I'll have somebody who's not able to walk backwards at all. And as I tell them, okay, show me how to walk backwards. They can't, I tell them to fix their, if I'm, doing telehealth, having them, you know, fix their computer screen. And then I see them and they take normal steps backwards. And so it's this voluntary movement that they can't do. And so mm -hmm. learning how really is, you have to be really creative and figuring out like, how can I get this person to move without thinking how to move? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then reinforcing that over and over again across different tasks. Um, and really the work, you know, by them is, is mostly happens outside of our sessions too. It's, it requires a lot of practice and, and time and it's a full-time job for those people to, to recover from this, but, and it's definitely possible and people make huge improvements when they get the right diagnosis and, and the right treatment. I got a little lost there. I keep going. <laughs> no, you're okay. No, like, I mean, this is like, it's so interesting, you know, and like, I think it's really amazing that you were able to like find this niche, you know, that you're super interested in, but it like clearly has a need, like there's a need for it with patients. And, you know, like you were saying, like they've kind of like gone through the ringer with a bunch of other stuff and haven't really found anything to help. So the fact that like you're there, you know, and offering support and help, I think is a really, really cool thing. So the more information, you know, that you're able to put out there, hopefully we can, you know, help as many people as possible. Um, so that's yeah. definitely like, definitely like kind of helps to clarify in my mind what it is that you're treating <laughs> and what you do. Yeah. Um, and I just like, like neuro stuff is so cool because I mean, the whole body is like a puzzle, but I feel like, especially with neuro stuff, it, it's so cool. I've always feel like the world's greatest detective when I like pick the clues <laughs> together and like, mm -hmm. like unlock exactly what's going on. Um, so yeah, I know, I think, you and I and everybody else out there clinically, we could just talk about things forever and like how cool the human body can be. Yep. Um, but no, I, I think that that is all, all super good stuff here. Um, I guess like one, one question that I have for you, just like for anybody who is listening. So with these patients that you are working with um, in your practice, are you, I mean, I know, but for our listeners, are you a mobile provider? Do you have a space? You said you do telehealth. So how does like, how does all of that work in your practice? Yeah, I initially started with telehealth and mobile. Um, 
for anybody in New York City, you know how transportation can be here. It was taking a big toll on me pretty quickly. So this back in June, I, I got my first office um, in, in Manhattan. And so right now I'm, I'm just seeing people in the office and telehealth. And probably I would say about like a third of of people I see telehealth and um, people with this condition is actually telehealth works out really great because it's a lot of hands off like you're not going to do manual therapy unless you know they also have a orthopedic issue because people can have more than one thing you know going on with them and yeah. and that's usually important to address in, in these people too but typically um yeah no hands-on stuff really and um yeah it, it works out really well um so i i'm licensed in new jersey too so i, I do see a, a lot of my patients um through telehealth here are in New Jersey or upstate New York, but I take, and so I, to go on more, like I take uh, Medicare and, and cash as well for like payment options. And that's a whole, that's a whole conversation too. <laughs> Medicare is a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely like some pros of course, but cons as well. I mean, just like any kind of, you know, like payment method or like different insurance you might work with. Um, but yeah, I I can imagine. I know when I was doing mobile therapy and home health, like I could really only do so much before it was just like way too much of a commute and everything. Um, so there's definitely like limits to that. But being able to offer telehealth is amazing. You know, it works out, I think, really well for a lot of patients, like more so maybe than like people thought like prior to COVID and everything. Um, so I'm I'm happy to hear that even with like neurological conditions, it is also still super helpful. Um, yes. yep. And I guess going back uh, to like sort of the beginning of your story, um, I know you said that you left your job and moved into working for yourself full time. Um, a common question that I get um, from practice owners or future practice owners who are like considering everything is how do you figure out like when to leave your job yeah that was hard that was really hard um i i got to the point and and i don't recommend this this is not the right answer i don't know if there's a right answer it was not yeah. a good decision on my part i think um I waited way too long and kind of got to the point where like I was severely stressed 24 seven and like felt like I had to like completely lost control over my entire life, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was, I was working all day and getting home, jumping on the computer to do telehealth with a patient or two, spending my, both my weekends seeing patients in my practice. And it was, it was a lot. And so when I got that feeling of like, I literally don't have a choice. Otherwise, I'm going to have to quit everything. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just yeah. not going to, I'm going to need a break um, for a while. So once I hit that point, um, you know, I tried, I tried working with them to see maybe like part time, um, which wasn't an option. And so, so I just put in my two weeks when, when they said no to the part time. And I'm really glad they did because there's no reason for me to, to try to go part time. I think it was that didn't want to jump completely over the edge into the, the deep end of trying to take the ladder down. <laughs> 
yeah. so so they'll have maybe one floaty on but yeah so <laughs> but i'm glad it's like ripping the band-aid off so just getting thrown in so yeah i even tried like applying for part-time jobs directly after that mm-hmm. and i got offered a couple and and i turned them all down i kind of felt bad and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like really struggling with this being completely on my own. Um, mm-hmm. It was really hard for me to go to grasp that concept. What about it made it difficult, do you think? I don't know, you always just work for somebody. And I've had multiple jobs in the past and something you always just work for someone. It's like, how do you even, how do you find out about Medicare? How do you get patients? How do you, uh, like, when do you get, um, you know, a, a, a brick and mortar location at, what is all the software I need? What are the policies? Like, there's a lot, and like, I have no idea. Yeah, and I've just learned on my own, and really through the help of like Facebook groups for the most part, and you, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like um a lot, and I feel like for for those of us who you know struggle with kind of figuring out like structure and time management and everything. Like you go, you go from like the traditional structure of working for somebody where you know exactly, you know, what time to be somewhere, what time you leave, kind of what's expected and everything to like, now you're designing all of that. It's, it's hard to conceptualize, I think, like you were saying, and then like just figuring out like all the fine details to make sure that like you're actually running a business, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, is it, it can be like. It can be weird, sometimes scary, but like, as you found, like a lot of it is doing the research and and trying different things and figuring out what's going to work best for you. Um, And I know lots of people are always worried about like the legal aspect of things. And I feel like when you're first getting started, most of what you can do is like look into the laws and regulations and like operate to the best of your knowledge, like based on your best interpretation and everything. Um, and just kind of go from there and, and, uh, adjust as you need to. Yep. You learn a lot, like a lot. (laughs) I ever thought I would learn ever. It was like, like a whole, whole another year of school kind of. Oh yeah. Maybe even more than that. Yeah, it is totally. Yeah. Um, and I do see that we got a question here. I'm going to try to find, Oh, uh, Katie, uh, from, from the Facebook group, she posted, she's an SLP. Um, and she says she's currently working in an elementary school and thinking about maybe starting a private practice. Join us, Katie. Um, <laughs> maybe teletherapy. Awesome. Uh, part-time. So the question for the group is, uh, do you think it would be better to get a second job working for someone else for a few hours weekly for a couple months before starting my own? Um, what do you think, Zach? Hmm. It's hard because it also, you know, it depends on, like, I don't, I don't have a family, you know, I don't, I don't have kids. I don't have like, it's, I just have to pay for, for myself. And so, so that like the financial stability, how much you have saved, like those, all those are things to, to consider when making these decisions, mm-hmm. I think. But if you can do it, just do it. Yeah. I think like it is, it's scary. It's hard and it's hard. Like they tell, I, people tell you how hard it is and you know how hard it is. <laughs> And then it's like 10 times harder than that. 
in like a good way though it's not a bad thing and it's 1000 percent worth it um but yeah I, mean, I think you know working like for somebody else for a couple hours is a good option for people though really mm -hmm. depends on on your personal like situation yeah and i think maybe just to kind of at least for myself katie like just to clarify if you're still watching with us um are you hoping to get a second job like to complement you starting your own practice like to just have kind of like an income um or are you hoping to get like a second job maybe like learning from somebody else who has a private practice because like that's something that sometimes people do as well so i just want to clarify too but i'm totally with zach i think it depends on you know like your own financial situation and everything um you know because if you are just on your own like zach or you know like when i started it was just myself and my husband and my husband had a full-time job so like I did kind of have a little bit of a safety net with that as I was transitioning jobs and everything, you know, versus like if you're supporting a bunch of people, it might be the more responsible choice to kind of take the ladder down, as Zach said, um, you know, versus just jumping all in. But I've also I've also talked to people, practice owners who are they're scared to take the leap but they literally had like $80,000 in savings. And I'm like, that's a full year's salary. <laughs> so like, you know, like you have at least a year where you could do nothing and you would be fine. So I think it kind of depends on that stuff too. What I usually tell people is like the responsible way to probably do things is to go from full-time to part-time to PRN to on your own. Um, but with like very specific numbers and goals in place. Otherwise, you'll never leave your full time job until you burn yourself out and basically almost <laughs> pass away um, in order to go on your own. Um, but I also like when I when I started my practice, I mean, I went for, I went from full time to home health, but I basically was in the same spot. I feel like as Zach, even though I wasn't like working for myself yet, when I was working full time at my outpatient job, I was so miserable every single day and just exhausted, and I hated it. So I like. I, I had to find something else. And that's why I went into home health because then I wasn't seeing over 100 patients a week. <laughs> it was more like 15 and more reasonable. Um, and then that gave me like the time and energy that I needed to look into to working, you know, for myself and doing other things. Um, so I think that besides like your financial situation, I think your mental and emotional health is like just as much of a priority, if not maybe a little bit more so. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, definitely. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the yeah, I mean, both are important. But yeah, that's it's a little bit more important for sure. Yeah, you know, because like, I, I feel like the thing with like finances, like as scary as they can be, which like I totally understand, you can always make more money. You can always find yourself another job. I was job. just thinking that, yeah. yeah. You just get more money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you can you can find something else. There are lots of opportunities. Total, like, plus side of having a license is you can find a job. Um, But uh, you only have your one self, you know, and your mental and emotional health is super important. Um. Oh, and then Katie got back to us. Um. So kind of both. She says, uh, it would be nice to earn more money to save for a private practice. Practice, but also to learn how private practice is different than at your current job. Um, currently single, 
uh, and you want to work in the school system full time for at least two more years. So I will have 10 years in the schools to get and secure my pension. Okay, that's great information. Ah, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think if it were me, and I'll get your opinion in a second, Zach, too, but I think if it were me, if I knew somebody near where I lived who had a private practice or like I was willing to like do some networking and kind of get to know people um I might look into either just like job shadowing them like a couple hours a week for a little while and see if they'd be into that I mean you could ask them about employment if you want to I don't really know if it would be worth going through actually getting onboarded and taking like an actual like part-time position um but some private practice owners might be open to you just kind of like coming in and shadowing for a few weeks or a couple of months um, to see how things run. Um, but if you were to work full-time, part-time, and try to start a practice, I don't know if that's humanly possible. <laughs> Zach, what do you think? That is not possible, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. But no, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's a great idea to to shadow some people. And I would, I would join the Facebook groups and just kind of linger there and and just see what you know the successes and challenges people face and how you know they overcome those and and take the two years to really do things right meaning having goals having a business plan i kind of had all of that and then kind of didn't <laughs> and not gonna lie um i'll say i guess it's not totally necessary but it would have been a little nicer to have all of that um, kind of figured out i think it was I was growing like kind of too much too quickly before I could actually, I thought it was going to take a long time and I was very wrong. I was, I thought I was going to go um, like switch from my hospital job to, to private practice with, like over two years and it took like eight months or something, not even like six months. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you're, if you're going to be staying there for two years, like it's a long time to, to learn a lot while not having to, to actually run the practice. Yeah. 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 You know, and like going along with that too, um, I guess like a couple of things, you know, if you kind of have like two years of lead time, one, just start your practice. Like you can put in all of the paperwork and everything and get set up so that you can see patients if they ask. You don't have to take anybody just because, you know, like you start an LLC and everything. Um, but you can have the beginning stuff set up and at least have the practice. Even if you never see a patient for the whole two years, you'll have things set up. Um, but like with that, you could also take like some practice patients. So just like you might like job shadow some different private practices, you could see if anybody is open to like a few free sessions or something for you to trial treating people privately. Um, and kind of like practice the process to see if it's something that you're interested in, um, you know, before you kind of take like a big leap or anything. So I think like I'm with Zach, I think Katie, I think you have like a lot of wiggle room to kind of like play around and see what feels good. Um, and just depending on, you know, like how quickly you want to reach whatever goals you have for the practice, that might just kind of like change what you do on a weekly or monthly basis to, to make progress. Do you have any other thoughts on that, Zach? No, you, you said it well. Yeah, totally agree. Cool. All right. So Katie, we'll, we will look out for your new practice at the beginning of the year. Um, but that'll be cool, Katie. I hope that it, it all works out and everything. And definitely like here in this group, feel free to, to ask questions um, 
and we can offer some advice. But I guess, Zach, uh, another question that we have about you and your stories, we've talked about a lot of the positives and also kind of alluded to maybe some of the challenges that you face. Um, since you started, I guess, what have been some of the biggest like barriers or mistakes or hiccups or things that you've run into that made you want to pull your hair out um, in your practice? <laughs> yeah. There's there's a few. Um, letting myself get behind on documentation, I'm just gonna say it. I regret it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is a regret. Um, mm -hmm. We all hate documentation. We all have to do it, and that's been really kind of stressful. Like figuring that all out, and I was I've always kind of been the person to like over document, I guess, or be very thorough and kind of take pride in that, and then I've realized how dumb that is <laughs> and totally unnecessary um so like i've been trying to bare minimum it like really really trying to cut down on that and it depends on the software too that you're you're trying to that you decide to use um that's a whole other thing figuring out which emr to use and all of that that's a whole learning experience and uh i, I did make that was probably one of my biggest regret regrets like trying to switch emr systems when i like was behind on documentation behind on submitting claims like had a whole bunch of new people coming in and thought i could try to switch EMRs because that would make everything better. Uh, it made everything so much worse and I ended up not switching, but um, that, that was a very challenging um, experience. Um, yeah, and uh, documentation, figuring out the kind of software and setup and then um, and then getting help too, because I quickly, uh, it quickly became like too much for just me to handle to where, you know, I had a full schedule of patients all day and submitting Medicare claims and keeping up with, with everything. It, it was too much. Um, so, so I do have like a virtual assistant, which just, I think getting any new person to, to a practice can be challenging. Um, especially when you haven't really like managed somebody else or like worked with, uh, had like a, or an independent contractor. And so, um, just learning like the ins and outs of that was, has been challenging. Um, but that's why you have an awesome business coach to help you with something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like something I was going to ask it, like, I mean, I guess it's like a plug sort of, but also a legitimate question. Um, cause I know you said you, like started on your own, did everything on your own for quite some time, six or eight months or so. Um, what have you found to be like the benefits of working with a coach? And like, do you think it would have made a difference at the beginning? I, I know like tons of people do stuff on their own for a while. So totally fair. But I guess like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wish I found you a lot earlier. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it was you. It, it's I mean, there's tons of information, free information, you know, like out there and yeah. like you can sit there all day and just read and learn. Um, but it's totally different to have somebody talking to you and like telling you like that has gone through the same stuff that you have in, in the way, um, you know, they were able to kind of navigate through that. Just hearing, you know, a different perspective of what you're thinking is like huge. I get very like stuck on viewing something some way. And so being able to hear it from an outside person, it was very helpful. 
Um, and like our brains kind of work the same in terms of organization and like planning and stuff yeah. like that. And so um, you have a handle on it and I did not. And so it was, <laughs> and so it was very helpful um, just like, yeah, time management wise and organization and, you know, tips and tricks here and there too and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think everyone should probably go with a, a business coach, like right from the beginning. I think it would make things so much easier. It definitely like it, it helps so much to be able to like talk through everything because like like I talk I have a business coach too and like I'll talk to him about all of the ideas that I have and he helps me kind of like put into perspective like maybe these are the good ideas and maybe these are the ideas <laughs> for not right now <laughs> um you yes. know and uh just being able to like like ask questions to avoid mistakes or like avoid things that are going to end up taking you like a lot more time to work through on your own. Um, that's also super helpful. Um, so yeah, like it's, I think I've, I've done a few different programs and I've worked with the same coach now for a couple of years, but mm. it's really nice to just be able to, to talk to somebody and have them kind of like help you plan things uh, in order to move forward. Um, because like definitely something that, that can be really overwhelming is the fact that when you own a business, nothing is ever done which like for those of us who like checklists, yeah. we like when things are done. Um, it can be very like frustrating. Uh, but first you just kind of have to make peace with that, that like nothing's ever complete <laughs> and yeah. figuring out ways to, you know, like find success for yourself to like get that feeling of like, okay, I'm done. Um, like working with a coach can also like help you with that kind of thing too. Absolutely. And that is very real. <laughs> Checked off a couple boxes, you get 10 more <laughs> that add up and it's, it really is never ending, but being able to figure that out is really, really helpful and it's possible too. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know that until somebody tells you <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, so nice, to, nice to have somebody to talk to you about that stuff. Yeah. And I know, like, speaking of kind of like, like learning things, um, and opportunities for growth, I know tonight, we also wanted to talk about the importance of adopting a learner's mindset, uh, when starting your entrepreneurial journey. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that. And like, you know, since you started, how you've adopted a learner's mindset. Yes. So I have kind of that perfectionist, like, mindset originally uh -huh. of, like, everything has to be perfect until it, and before I can, you know, implement it or everything has to be figured out and everything has to be planned. And um, that's just, like, not the case. But it's like, it's just, you're going to sit there forever and, and not actually get anything done. Um, it and really, I mean, fear of failing is like a big one of that and imposter syndrome and, and those things. And so this adopt, adopting this learner's mindset is probably like the number one thing that has like got me through all of this <laughs> with like, it really changes your perspective on, on facing these challenges. And, and I don't even, it's hard to even call things failures because even when you do go through what something like an experience that you would call a failure like you still learn a ton from that 
Like no matter mm -hmm. what you do, good or bad, you're always going to learn something and then you're going to be able to apply that for the next thing that you do. Um, and so I think it creates this resiliency, really, like mindset, this resilient mindset of, you know, you can do anything really. Um, and yeah, and there's, and it keeps you interested too. It's like, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like when you're going through these challenges that it's like dragging you down, holding you back, holding you down. Um, you feel empowered by it. Keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah. And I think like, like something that, that reminds me of, and I mean, like, it's, it's something that like, I have to work on pretty much on a weekly basis. But like the concept of failure, I think for me, like my experience going through grad school was so intense. <laughs> like it was, I think, for a lot of us, you know, where it literally was like pass or fail, you know, and if you failed too many classes, you get kicked out of school. And like, that was just like the absolute worst possible thing that could possibly happen. But I don't know about you, but like there were students in my class who unfortunately did have to leave the program and they're doing just fine. Yeah. And so like, I think for me, it's been kind of like this, like trying to like coach myself through it and like reassociate, I guess maybe what like failure really means. And it's just kind of like, it's something that didn't work maybe the way that I wanted it to but like, like you were saying you learn something from that you know and I think it really especially like with business stuff it can apply to a lot of marketing stuff where you might have a great idea for something that you want to do with marketing you try it and you get crickets it does not work at all and you know like you could look at it as failure or you could say like, wow, I learned for sure. I do not want to do direct mailers <laughs> to try and find patients, you know, and you move on from there um, and you learn yep. something. So I think that's like a big, big part of the learner's mindset that you mentioned is realizing, like you said, there really is no failure because also like none of this is an emergency. I think that's also where like a lot of the stress like around quote unquote failure comes from. It's like, it, well, if I fail, it's like a dire situation, but it's not. <laughs> everybody's fine. Everybody's Never. safe. <laughs> you can always get another job. You might not like it and yeah. you might, it might be a transition and you know, you might have to think about what's next, but there's always something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very helpful. Cause yeah, during this whole time you're thinking, what if this happens? What if that happens? I'm yeah, nobody's gonna come to my practice. I'm gonna go bankrupt. I'm gonna <laughs> lose my house. <laughs> I get like all of these things. And it's just like, no, none of that's gonna happen. Like you'll, you'll figure it out, you know, and you'll, you'll take care of yourself. Like you'll, you'll do what is ultimately best and everything. And, you know, and even like, this is something that could happen too, that it just reminded me of is like, if you are not enjoying where you are currently working as a clinician, and you think that opening your own practice is the solution, if you give yourself the opportunity to do that, you could ultimately find out that you actually just don't like being a clinician, um, you know, which you might never have realized if you didn't like give yourself the opportunity to do on your own. Like I worked with somebody this year who like they did open their own practice and they were open for, I want to say maybe a year or two, but she's actually pursuing becoming a travel agent because she doesn't really want to treat 
anymore. And so she's like, by doing this, she gave herself the opportunity to kind of like completely change her career and do something that she actually really likes, which is travel, you know? So like, that's totally something that could happen too, which would be a huge surprise, but also really cool. Yeah. I went through a bit of like an accidental crisis (laughs) in in PT school. When we got to like our our ortho semester, I was like, I hate this. why am i here this is awful um and then neuro came and i was like oh no i love this very much (laughs) and 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 i don't have to do outpatient ortho (laughs) and yeah so that's yeah that's definitely a thing i've seen people post about that online too um that it really wasn't for them and maybe even just owning a practice too people think that's what i want and then they try to own their own practice and even if they're successful or not like some people just actually don't want to, but you really won't ever know unless you try it and do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really, really what we're trying to say this whole time is just do a practice because it will be the most emotionally and mentally taxing and amazing thing that will ever happen to you. Yep. It'll be so cool. 100%. You'll grow grow so much because of it. Um, and so then I guess with that, as we are coming to a close tonight, Zach, um, for anybody who is thinking about starting a practice or just getting started, what are your top two best pieces of advice? Mm, definitely figure out your foundation beforehand, but also be flexible with it. Know that it, it will change when you get started. But have some type of idea, like a semi-structured, yeah, plan. Um, And then I think really like a a learner's mindset, like you have to go into it with learner's mindset, I think. Like if, if it's really hard for you to deal with like, failure not to say that you can't learn like it's going to be very hard um if if failures really set you back and and being able to kind of work through that might be something you know that you you might need to work on prior to to going on this adventure (laughs) i guess yeah 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 i think i think that's totally fair and just like like have the mindset that like you are a problem solver and like if something doesn't go your way be stubborn about it and figure out a way to make it work um you know like stick you have that freedom to make yeah to do whatever you want yeah exactly like as weird as that can feel like we talked about earlier to have like complete control over what you're doing um it's also super cool um you know because you can literally do whatever you want so yeah well cool well why don't we wrap up for the evening i will be putting um more information in the description and in the show notes for for this interview but zachary if people have questions um or they have patients to send to you how can people find you yeah uh you can visit my website www.fnd.physio very simple. Um, my email's on there, my my number, email, text, call, whatever. Happy to help. Happy to see whoever. As long as they have FND. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Cool. And uh Zach also just redid his website and it's beautiful and we're all very proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> Did it all on my own. 
Yeah, it's actually it's template. actually like really good. <laughs> um, all right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Zach. Uh, yeah, really thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. um, and thanks. for everybody who is listening, watching, um, definitely like check out our group, check out my YouTube channel, and the rest of the podcast episodes. Uh, if you have questions, looking for things, you can also reach out to me at morganese.com. So I'll see you on the next one. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I'm honored to be a part of this community of healthcare entrepreneurs, and it is my hope that by sharing and spreading stories, advice, and knowledge to people just like you who want something more, it will inspire you to create the life and career that you dream of. If this sounds like you and you're ready to get your business off the ground, please find me on my website at morganneese.com or on Instagram at drmorganneese. Who do you want to hear from next? Or would you like to be featured on this series? Have an idea for a topic that hasn't been covered yet? Please email me at morgan at thewellphysio.com.